I'm Tara Lake, and this is The Tara Lake Show. Welcome back, and thank you so much for returning for this week's episode of The Tara Lake Show. You're just in time for the third installment of my series on Francis E. W. Harper, which celebrates the oratory of the 19th century Philadelphian and African-American poet, author, abolitionist, and suffragist. It's been such an honor to share this series with you in recognition of Harper's amazing work, which spanned decades, crossed two centuries, and continues to impact us so meaningfully today. This series ran from the spring through the fall of 2020, and this third and final installment coincided with the occasion of America's Election Day weekend in November 2020. If you haven't yet had a chance to hear the first two episodes, I invite you to head back to those first and then return here for the third installment. Don't worry, I'll wait for you. I created this series because I wanted to, in some small part, illuminate the power of Harper's language in her extraordinary decades-long crusade for justice. Perhaps most exciting about this episode is the way Harper's speeches provide a unique perspective into the political, social, and cultural landscape of the 19th century. The frankness and unapologetic commitment to equal justice demonstrated by Harper is not always a part of our narrative about African-American justice movements and women's rights activism of the 1800s. Frances E.W. Harper embodied a steadfast commitment to truth that allowed her to call out systemic injustice and racism in ways that are rarely heard even today. And now, here is the third and final series installment. This program contains direct reference to violent physical acts and racial epithets and may not be suitable for sensitive audiences. In the finale of this three-part series on the life and work of Frances C.W. Harper, we examine Harper's legacy in the political heritage of Philadelphia, the birthplace of the Constitution, and in the political legacy of the United States at large. Born the free daughter of a formerly enslaved mother in 1825 and raised in religious and social activism by her aunt and uncle, Frances E.W. Harper agitated for the abolition of slavery and advocated for access to the ballot for African Americans and for women. A master of several genres, Harper's political writings defined a framework for justice and inclusion in the United States. This episode delves into Harper's unflinching critiques of racism, racial violence, gender oppression, and political disenfranchisement in speeches delivered on stages in Philadelphia and across the country. August 2020 marked the 100-year anniversary of women's suffrage through the 19th Amendment. And September 2020 marked the 195th anniversary of Frances E. W. Harper's birth. With only days remaining till the close of the historic 2020 presidential election, it's a fitting time to explore the speeches of Frances E. W. Harper, in which she laid out a political vision for an America worthy of the dreams of all its citizens. 
National Salvation. On January 31, 1867, Francis E.W. Harper appeared at Philadelphia's National Hall, which was located on Market between 12th and 13th Streets, a few blocks from today's Philadelphia Convention Center. Harper was that evening's featured speaker, invited by the Social, Civil, and Statistical Association of the Colored People of Philadelphia to speak in the fourth of a series of lectures presented by that organization before a sizable multiracial audience. This was at least the third public oratorial appearance in Philadelphia for Ms. Harper, who previously toured the country as an anti-slavery speaker. After the death of her husband in 1864, Harper returned to the speaker's circuit in 1865, actively touring in New England and the Southeast. She lectured on the Civil War, lauded the valor of African-American soldiers, illuminated the experience of formerly enslaved African-Americans, and advocated for the full recognition of African-American citizenship. In recent years, Harper had developed a complex and multifaceted argument, holding that national salvation for the United States was only possible when African-Americans who were taxed and called to war along with their Caucasian-American counterparts were granted full and equal civil rights. And now, excerpts from National Salvation. Now, slavery as an institution has been overthrown, but slavery as an idea still lives in the American Republic. And the problem and the duty of the present hour is this, whether there is strength enough, wisdom enough, and virtue enough in our American nation to lift it out of trouble whether by its legislation and jurisprudence, these distinctions between man and man on account of his race, color, or descent shall cease. Today, the tendency of the spirit of the age is towards a higher form of republicanism and a purer type of democracy. And yet this idea has been struggling for ages. Frances E.W. Harper's National Salvation Speech made clear her calls for the removal of President Johnson from office and an end to the empowerment of rebels or former Confederates and their allies. After rising to the presidency in the wake of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, the Tennessean Johnson had proven a staunch ally for the restoration of the old Southern order and the suppression of African-American rights and liberties. Johnson's erratic speeches and his rhetoric and support for Confederates were seen as major contributors to deadly massacres against African-American soldiers, political activists, business leaders, and civilians in the cities of New Orleans and Memphis in 1866. What you need tonight is to take the shackle from the wrist of the colored man and to put the ballot in its stead. When I see the streets of New Orleans and Memphis red with the blood of unexpiated murders, and I hear the miserable recorder counseling them to burn 
and hang the n I ask that the colored man should have that much power in his hands to turn all such men out of office. In Philadelphia's National Hall, Frances E.W. Harper was on home turf, only about a mile from her South Philadelphia neighborhood. There in Center City, she did not miss the opportunity to challenge Philadelphia on its racist indignities, especially those experienced in Philadelphia's streetcar system. There is a small matter of prejudice that I want to take up, that against color in particular, and I am coming home to Philadelphia and I am to talk to those who clasp hands with rebels in the city of Philadelphia. And I am not going to bathe my lips in honey when I speak. I went into the house and picked up a Philadelphia paper, a Christian recorder. What did I read? There, I read a woman had been kicked out of the cars in the streets of this city. What had she done? Simply claimed her right to travel and had been brutally kicked in these streets. Where did he kick this woman? In the very streets over which colored men marched to the front, faithful to the country where others were faithless, who were rallying around the flag when rebels were trampling it under feet. True to the country when she wanted a friend, witness now that the sisters and mothers of these men can be kicked from the cars in our popular thoroughfares. Friends, when that man kicked that woman, he kicked me. He kicked the wife, sister, and child of every colored man who went out to battle and to lay down his life for this country. And I am here tonight to protest against it. The colored man is taxed in this country. He is drafted in war, and yet tonight I live in an American republic. I am a taxpayer. The government may increase its taxes until it runs down every seam and fold of my dress, may tax the very bread I break to my orphan child, but it brings me back a rich compensation. When it makes my child free in South Carolina, in Tennessee, and Alabama, and even in this city of Philadelphia, when I want to ride in your cars. We are all bound up together. In the year before her national salvation speech, Harper cemented herself as a leading voice in the women's suffragist movement. It was May 1st, 1866, when Frances Ellen Watkins Harper addressed the 11th National Women's Rights Convention in New York City, delivering the speech we are all bound up together. She served as a featured speaker among other leading suffragists, including Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, and Lucretia Mott, all of whom were Caucasian American. 
Harper used the opportunity to advocate for the political and social rights of African-American women who were systematically excluded from movements for civil rights and women's rights. Here are excerpts from We Are All Bound Up Together. We are all bound up together in one great bundle of humanity, and society cannot trample on the weakest and feeblest of its members without receiving the curse in its own soul. You tried that in the case of the Negro. You pressed him down for two centuries, and in doing so, you crippled the moral strength and paralyzed the spiritual energies of the white men of the country. I do not believe that giving the woman the ballot is immediately going to cure all the ills of life. I do not believe that white women are dewdrops just exhaled from the skies. I think that, like men, they may be divided into three classes, the good, the bad, and the indifferent. You white women speak here of rights. I speak of wrongs. I, as a colored woman, have had in this country an education which makes me feel as if I were in the situation of Ishmael, my hand against every man and every man's hand against me. Let me go tomorrow morning and take my seat in one of your streetcars. I do not know that they will do it in New York, but they do it in Philadelphia. And the conductor will put up his hand and stop the car rather than let me ride. In driving home her call for conscious moral responsibility, Harper drew her listeners' attention once more to the daily racism and injustice that even freedom conductor and Civil War hero Harriet Tubman could not escape. We have a woman in our country who has received the name of Moses, not by lying about it, but by acting out. A woman who has gone down into the Egypt of slavery and brought out hundreds of our people into liberty. The last time I saw that woman, her hands were swollen. That woman who had led one of Montgomery's most successful expeditions, who was brave and secretive enough to act as a scout for the American army, had her hands all swollen from a conflict with a brutal conductor who undertook to eject her from her place. That woman, whose courage and bravery won a recognition from our army and from every black man in this land, is excluded from every thoroughfare of travel. Talk of giving women the ballot box? Go on. It is a normal school, and the white women of this country need it. While there exists this brutal element in society which tramples upon the feeble and treads upon the weak, I tell you that if there is any class of people who need to be lifted out of their airy nothings and selfishness, 
It is the white women of America. A heritage of scorn. On February 22, 1891, Francis C.W. Harper responded to a movement among a number of suffragists who sought to extend the vote only to Caucasian American women in order to ensure continued white political supremacy in the United States. Women suffragists had traditionally been aligned with causes deemed racially progressive, including the abolition of slavery. But two decades after African American men gained the constitutional right to vote in 1870 and won greater political power, some women suffragettes sought to block African American women from the vote in a move to limit African American political power. In her speech to the National Council of Women in Washington, D.C., often titled A Heritage of Scorn, Frances E.W. Harper spoke to a tenuous alliance of women suffragists to assert that all African Americans, who equally undertook the obligations of citizenship, were entitled to the right to vote. Harper also addressed the rising trend of public mob lynchings of African Americans, characterized by the hanging, dismemberment, and burning of victims. The ostensive justifications for these racially motivated murders were typically falsified charges or more generalized myths of African American criminality. Amid a swelling discomfort with the political and social strides of African Americans, an average of 175 lynchings were documented every year between 1890 and 1900. The following year, African-American journalist Ida B. Wells Barnett would begin her anti-lynching crusade in the press. But on this day, in early 1891, Harper brought the battle to the podium. And here are excerpts from A Heritage of Scorn. I deem it a privilege to present the Negro not as a mere dependent asking for Northern sympathy or Southern compassion, but as a member of the body politic who has a claim upon the nation for justice, simple justice, which is the right of every race, upon the government for protection, which is the rightful claim of every citizen. Our first claim upon the nation and government is the claim for protection to human life. That claim should lie at the basis of our civilization, not simply in theory, but in fact. Outside of America, I know of no other civilized country, Catholic, Protestant, or even Mahometan, where men are still lynched, murdered, and even burned for real or supposed crimes. A government which has power to tax a man in peace and draft him in war should have power to defend his life in the hour of peril. A government which can protect and defend its citizens from wrong and outrage and does not is vicious. A government which would do it and cannot is weak. And where human life is insecure through either weakness or viciousness in the administration of law, there must be a lack of justice. And where this is wanting, nothing 
can make up the deficiency. <laughs> Women's Political Future. On May 20th, 1893, Frances E.W. Harper delivered her speech, Women's Political Future, at the World Congress of Representative Women in Chicago, Illinois. Nearly 30 years after her foray into public activism for women's suffrage, Harper continued to pursue the themes that always characterized her activism for African-American freedom and political enfranchisement. Harper viewed the moment as one fraught with distinct challenges and ripe with opportunity. And she raised voting as critical to the strategy for saving the soul of the nation. And now, excerpts from Women's Political Future. What we need today is not simply more voters, but better voters. Today, there are red-handed men in our republic who walk unwhipped of justice, who richly deserve to exchange the ballot of the freeman for the wristlets of the felon. Brutal and cowardly men who torture, burn, and lynch their fellow men. Men whose defenselessness should be their best defense and their weakness an ensign of protection. More than the changing of institutions, we need the development of a national conscience and the upbuilding of national character. Men may boast of the aristocracy of blood, may glory in the aristocracy of talent and be proud of the aristocracy of wealth. But there is one aristocracy which must ever outrank them all, and that is the aristocracy of character. Oh, women of America, into your hands God has pressed one of the sublimest opportunities that ever came into the hands of the women of any race or people. It is yours to create a healthy public sentiment, to demand justice, simple justice, as the right of every race, to brand with everlasting infamy the lawless and brutal cowardice that lynches, burns, and tortures your own countrymen. Philadelphia's own Frances E.W. Harper saw equal access to the political franchise as key to the emergence of a truly just America. She envisioned a country that could reach its greatest potential by embracing the moral ideas of the Republic and working cooperatively for the betterment of all. In her work as an activist, she forged intercultural alliances to build a stronger nation. And in her speeches, as in all her work, she never abandoned the belief that America would rise to the promise of its highest ideals. Once again, from Francis E.W. Harper's National Salvation. Friends, this is the nation's hour for every heart and hand to build on justice as a rock to trust in the truth and never yield. With truth and justice clasping hands, we yet shall win the fight.
And this concludes my three-part series on the amazing work of Frances E.W. Harper, part of a spotlight on the work of inspiring women during this special eight-episode season. I'm Tara Lake, your host, writer, producer, and voice performer for this three-part series on Harper's life, work, and activism. Thank you so much for listening. Please join me next week on the Tara Lake Show for an hour-long interview with University of Alabama professor Utz McKnight, author of the book Francis E.W. Harper, A Call to Conscience. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. Please reach out at taralakeshow.com. That's taralakeshow.com. I'm your host, Tara Lake. Thank you so much for listening to The Tara Lake Show.